right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn and Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're talking KU football. KU Illinois. Who? That was a fun one. What? Yeah. By the way, I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were going to call me Big Dog. No, I don't want. To, I didn't want to, you know, overdo it. Oh, well, I was I was disappointed because uh, apparently there is a big dog on KU football. Who's that? Uh, Maj Reed Adams. Oh, he said during the pregame show on the Jayhawk Radio Network. They call him Big Dog. Yeah, it's his nickname. <laughs> Starting guard for KU. Okay, so you what you need to do is mm-hmm. you need to do like an Oklahoma drill with him <laughs> to determine who the real Big Dog is. I as soon as you said Oklahoma drill, I was out. It doesn't matter who it was again. <laughs> I'm out. Well, how, uh, then you're asking you me to go against out, a six foot five, three hundred and thirty pound dude. Okay, first no, of thank all, you. you're only giving up like an inch on him. So yeah, but I'm giving up like a lot of poundage. <laughs> <laughs> how else are you supposed to determine who the real big dog is? I, I'll let him have it. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need it. He can have it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, wow. Well, you know, a real big dog wouldn't just give up like that. Well, I, I, no, no. They wouldn't just throw big. in the towel like that. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I can be medium dog. Um, <laughs> anyway, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, 34 to 23, the final score of KU Illinois. David Lesky is going to join us later this hour. We got Case of the Mondays, Calls Football with Brown, NFL Monday Overreactions, Lance Leipold, Post Game Audio, plenty of KU football talk today as uh, well. Uh, the, the main takeaway from me for this game was was really this. I mean, because Jalen Daniels was back. He was excellent. Defense looked good. There were a lot of small things that we're going to get into here. It's just Kansas is for real. Yes. I don't know. For no. all we know, Illinois is bad. It, listen, hand up. I, listen, first okay. of all, hand up. Last week, I was like, oh, maybe we should talk more about the Illinois offense. No, we should have talked less about the Illinois offense. Those guys stink. I mean, they stink. They are terrible. What if what okay, if they the look KU defense, bad because the, the KU, KU defense. defense had a great game? They played really really well, but uh, that's on me. I want to formally apologize. We should we should we just should have talked less about the Illinois offense because mm-hmm. those dudes are bad. They are not good. Now the KU defense was fantastic, uh, certainly, and the front seven for KU had a really really great game. And I was gonna, I, I guess we can just bring this up now since we just got on the topic of it. I think that was was that KU's best defensive performance since Lance Leipold has has taken over. Back in twenty twenty one, setting setting aside F, FCS programs F, against an FBS team. Is it's hard not to pick the Iowa State game. Okay, but, but also that is took, not a real quarterback. Yeah, and, and that also shot. took Iowa State missing how many field goals? Three. <laughs> yeah. Right, so they easily could have got to twenty. So was this the, the best? 11. Was this the best start to finish wire to wire defensive performance of any game under? Lance Leipold. So basically, how many games are that? How many games? 20, 27, mm-hmm. 28 games? I mean, what else would even be up there? Honestly. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't even know. The first half against Oklahoma in 2021, but then they gave up, you know, 35 points in the second half. I mean, half. The, the defense um, played pretty well against Houston, but they gave up 30 points. 
Yeah, it can't be that. It'd have to either be Iowa State or this. But again, you could say Iowa State would have got to 20 if they made their field goals. And in this one, even though Illinois had more, this Illinois offense better than that Iowa State offense. And also, yes. Illinois probably should have wound up with less than the points yeah, okay. that they ended up getting. In On this the game. Luke Altmaier touchdown run, why would why were yeah, there only eight guys there. on the field for KU? I, I don't the, know what happened. Where was there. the defense? Yeah, that where was that the was, team? That was clearly some sort of breakdown. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's the, the the targeting call that leads to the the extra two points there, kind of yeah. losing some momentum. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Some weird things yeah. happen. Uh, you you I mean, look think, at the box score. I think schematically and just from a execution yeah. standpoint, their best. I've, I'm I'm willing to say it was their best defensive performance. Since Lance Leipold took over. And I'd be fine giving it that. Uh, it, it was a very impressive performance and one that was just overall, to me, dominant. I know you might, if, if you didn't see the game, you might just look at the the score at the end of the game and say, oh, okay, 34 to 23. Like Kansas, yeah, they okay, they won the game. Yeah, they, like they a, were better. a solid win. Yeah, sure. But that, that doesn't tell the whole story. No, it doesn't. Because I think Kansas dominated the game. I mean, at one point they were up 31 to 7. 34 to 7. Yeah. Was it? I believe they went up 34-7. Okay. Um, and then it's 28-7 at halftime. Like, it, it never never were you— Well, think about it this way. Like, you're do- you're absolutely destroying them. It's 21-0. Illinois finally puts together one solid drive. They go down and score. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe this might be more a little bit more of a game. And what happens? You go down in 40 seconds and score a touchdown again to say, eh-eh, not so fast. Mm-hmm. You still stink. 28-7. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think that game ever for me was like in doubt. Even when Illinois had the ball down 11 with three minutes left, it's like still, it's like, okay, I, I don't know. Like, how real is this? Maybe they're going to make you, you sweat a little bit more here. Um, but even then, like, that took some weird things to even get it to that point. It took you um, having a couple targeting calls. It took you. Yep, you had to fumble. You had, had the, the fumble, in the right? End zone. Yeah, the interception in the end zone. Turn it, it over on um, it, it took the the one touchdown getting called back. It took the Daniel Highshot play where I thought clearly he had the first down, but they marked him short, and then they ended up getting stopped on fourth down. Yeah, this was this was a classic game, college football game in the sense of the rhythm of the game was pretty good, and then here come the officials. <laughs> tweet, tweet. Just flags, targeting, bad calls, bad spots. It's just classic, classic college football. And so I, I think I, I view that game, and I'm, I'm like, okay, Kansas realistically to me was like 20 points better than what Illinois was. 17 points better, 20 points better, somewhere in that yeah. range. Um, they were definitively the better team, and who knows how good Illinois will be this year. That could end up being a, a five or six win team. It could be a four win team. It could also still be a six or seven win team. I don't know. I mean, their schedule. It's. I mean, listen. They play in the Big Ten West. They're going to have a chance to win sure. probably, you know, six games. Sure. Even if they're a six-win team, though, for you to clearly look like the better team, yeah, doesn't that show that you're better than a six or seven-win team? Doesn't well, that, like, isn't that what an eight or nine-win team does to six-win teams? And to take this a step further, KU clearly had the better athletes. When's the last time you've been able to say that about a KU team facing an FBS opponent? When you look at them, you say. Wait a second. The boys in blue, or I guess in black in this game, clearly have the better athletes. How, how, you've not been able to say that about a KU football team going up against an FBS opponent. And I, I think that was the case. On offense, they looked faster. They were more physical. They were quicker. Devin Neal was juking people out of their shoes left and right. Jalen looked electric. And on defense, the front seven really didn't have any issues you know, getting to the quarterback. I mean, it was very, very impressive. I mean, they, like I said, I think they had the better athletes, basically. 
Yeah. And you just you just haven't been able to say that about a, a KU team against an FBS opponent in recent memory. No, you really haven't. So I, I think to me that was like confirmation that they are for real, that they are taking a step up from last year, that this team is good enough to win eight or nine games this season. Uh, and obviously Jalen Daniels being back is a big reason why he uh, comes Jaylen back Daniels, makes his first start. He's, he's him. Well, they on the the TV I mean, that, broadcast. That you were at the game, so this didn't. I, I don't even know if you're you're aware of what happened. Okay. Did you not see this at the beginning of the game? Uh, was it the Jalen Daniels Jason Bean thing? Yes. Yeah. At the beginning of the game yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. the ESPN broadcast. Or ESPN I did see. I saw a replay of it. Yeah. They threw up Jason Bean as starting quarterback on the graphic, and all of a sudden, ev- I, oh, oh, I oh, I did not see that. Yeah. Oh. The first drive, KU comes out, and as the offense well, comes out, but it was Jalen on the video board at the stadium. But th- as he's coming out, the graphic comes up on the video, and it goes starting quarterback Jason Bean, and it has like his stats and stuff on there, and they're like, huh. he's going to be the starter today. All this, and immediately, if you're watching the game on TV, you're like, wait, what? Well, okay. Which just adds to the panic and the hysteria of on the first play. But then Jalen throws. Did you throws see what they did on the first play? play? Right? Well, no, they were both out they, there. Yeah, yeah. They, they ran like a read option, but it, Jason was the running back, and then Jalen Daniels threw it to Luke Graham, I think, for like a twenty-yard gain on the first play. Yeah. So it was just it was just chaos. <laughs> it was chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, a little bit. But Jalen Daniels, first, but he ended up is, playing amazing. He's him. I mean, he's he showed why he's the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. He he came back and showed. You know, maybe it was just us being six, seven months removed from watching Jalen Daniels play. With Jason Bean, I think there was a sense of, yeah, okay, you'll be fine with Jason Bean. Mm-hmm. But it's clear how much Jalen Daniels elevates the offense. And I, I got I got to make something very clear here. This is not a knock against Jason Bean. This is not saying this is not taking anything away from Jason Bean. Jason Bean, I think, is a certainly a quality quarterback and has shown that and showed it against Missouri State that he can competently run a college offense at the Power 5 level and be relatively successful. I think Jason Bean has shown that and has shown that he's a good quarterback. This is not a knock against him at all. Yeah. Jalen Daniels is just that much better, I think. I mean, he's just that he's just him. He's just what he's able to do, how he's able to command the offense, whether it's, you know, how in sync he is with Andy Kolnicki and what, they, what they're trying to do with his receivers, whatever it is, like, the offense just gets elevated with, with, with Jalen Daniels out there. Yes. And there were plays that he made that Jason Bean does not make, I don't think. I mean, how, you know, there I could think of two or three plays off the top of my head where he was scrambling around, Jalen Daniels was, extending a play, and made a great play down the field. There was a third down in which he did that, where he looked like he was sacked in the end zone. Remember that play? He was standing at his own, yes. uh, standing at his own goal Newton's line. coming right at him. He darts by him. I, I mean, don't think Jason Bean makes a play like that. No, I don't think so either. I think Bean just probably takes off, and I don't think he throws it downfield. Maybe he just takes off and runs. Maybe he gets it rid of it before the, the pressure comes. It's it's those plays, I mean, that, that you see the high ceiling plays, the play at the end of the first half where he throws downfield to Luke Grimm. Yes. Uh, those are plays that you have added on, and... and even some plays that I don't think show up in the box score or the individual stats for Jalen Daniels, just knowing when to make the pitch, when to make the read, when to make the right play that, you know, it ends up and, going down as a good run for Daniel Hyshaw or Devin Neal, but it might be because Jalen Daniels made the right read. Yeah, and we talked about, I talked about this after the Missouri State game last week about, it felt to me as though Jason Bean was trying really hard to just to just execute the offense as it was called. And with Jalen, you can see that he can do that, but he also has that added element of this extreme creativity where he can just make things happen. A play breaks down, he can just he can it just still works. He just finds a way to make it work. Uh, and that's that's those are the types of plays that I that I have a lot less confidence in Jason Bean being able to to salvage. Uh, so that that really jumped out to me was just the fact that Jalen has this mastery of the offense, but on top of that, he has that creative element to where 
a play breaks down or he needs to scramble out or he needs he needs he is the guy he needs to make a play and he just does. And KU has not had a quarterback like that since Todd Reesing. That yes. you look that you need a play and he just makes it happen. The play he just makes it work. It doesn't matter if it's a broken play. However, it just he just makes it happen because he's just that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's it's apparent that as as good as Jason Bean is and and that uh I, I think he would for me, be the best quarterback that KU has had since Todd Reesing. There's just another level with the, there with Jalen Daniels, and uh, yeah, it just it elevates you so much to another point. I mean, the Kansas offense has looked so good to start the season. You easily could have put up forty plus points against an Illinois defense that sure maybe it's not as good as it was last year, but that's still I mean, they've a, got a top fifteen, top twenty pick yeah, defensive tackle. Exactly. I mean, it's still probably a top good talent thirty in the, in the unit in the country, maybe. That's impressive. It's very impressive. I yeah. mean, and again, you looked faster than them. Yeah, you looked stronger. Offensive line was really good. Too. I mean, listen, there, there Newton, were a few plays from Newton that he got yeah, through. Newton made his plays. Yeah, which you listen. If you're gonna be, if you're a guy who's a legit top first round pick in the NFL draft, you're gonna make your plays. That's just you know, you're gonna have your three, four plays in the game where you're gonna do something right. Mm-hmm. But he didn't destroy the game. He didn't completely upend the offensive game plan for KU. He had his moments. He had his plays that he made. But he didn't completely take over. He didn't completely di- disrupt what KU was trying to do. And KU had a lot of success uh, still, despite him maybe making his couple plays that he did make. Yes. So really impressive all around there. Yeah, going back to the defense, though, which you talked about, it was it was a remarkable effort through the first you know three quarters, too. They, they put on yeah. some of those numbers at the end, which made it look like a an okay performance for the Illinois offense. I mean, you you had like 200 more yards than them overall, so if you're just looking at that standpoint, like if you if you out-yard a team by like 200, typically you're going to win by more than 11 points. <laughs> uh, I know there's some turnover stuff in there, but like, I don't know, Illinois had their, their fair share of turnovers, too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, KU, KU kind of screwed around the second half. Sure. I felt like. But they also... I thought were good at like every level of the defense. Like there isn't one level yep. of the defense that I thought was just like ah they were just okay. And then this one stepped. Up. I thought I thought all of them stepped up. Like yeah, um, corners. I thought there was good coverage. Linebackers made the plays when they needed to. Honestly, like the defensive end, you had six sacks. You had six sacks against Illinois. Like what did they have last year? Like eighteen or something? Yeah. Or I well, think twenty one maybe. I, I think it was maybe ha- Brian Haney that came on our show and said. Or we we talked about this. How remember last year it was this it was the wide receiver room was the question of oh that might be the that might be your weakest unit on the whole team coming into the season and it ended up being one of your strengths mm-hmm. and now it's starting to seem like you could maybe make that same argument. I know it's early, only two games into the season, but this D line group looks like it's legit and looks like it's going to end up being one of your more stalwart units that you have on your team. I mean, you've got transfers coming in that are making big big impacts. Jamie Robinson has stepped up. And, you know, we, we wondered about the possibility of there being, of how you're going to replace Lonnie Phelps. And I think you and I both kind of settled on the idea of you're not going to have a one-for-one swap of just one guy, Jeremy Robinson, whoever, be Lonnie, that, the equivalent production of Lonnie Phelps. But if you have three or four guys that are all doing similar levels of production, you can get, you can get to what Lonnie Phelps did last year, and you can actually even go further. I mean, a guy like Austin Booker. A guy like Patrick Joyner. I mean, those those guys, plus Jeremy Robinson, plus Aiden Hatcher, they could combine to be maybe even better than what you had with Lonnie Phelps last season. I think they, they might be. I mean, it's only been two weeks, so it's it's hard for I don't know. I don't want to over exaggerate to a certain point. But like what if what if Jeremy Robinson we we talked all offseason too, beyond just the 
the kind of some of the parts like you're referring to that the overall group might be better than they were last year. Yeah. What if Jeremy Robinson is as good as Lonnie Phelps? Right? I mean, he has three sacks through two games, which yeah. uh, I think that's what Lonnie Phelps had last year. It, it was either three or four. Well, I mean, I think he had three alone in the Tennessee Tech game, Yes. Right? And then I mean, if we're just looking at Houston. Yeah, if we're just looking at uh, FBS games, well, could, no, he would have had three through two because they didn't get one as a team against West Virginia in the second week. Oh, true, true. Okay, yeah. No, I just jumped straight to Houston. Yeah. yeah. What about West Virginia? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I think the I think the defensive end group might actually be better than it was last season. Yeah, and also something else that jumped out to me is there was some illusion during leading up to the season in fall camp from Brian Borland, from other assistant coaches that we talked to about – KU possibly mixing in some of their linebackers, looking to maybe try to blitz more and introduce some new packages. And Craig Young was a guy that we've talked about specifically. Well, what about just J.B. Brown? Mm -hmm. I mean, that dude is a heat-seeking missile. You just tell him to go do something, and he just, he just goes. I mean, that was insane. I mean, maybe he's the guy that you have as, as that X-factor blitzing linebacker because well, they even his, impact, him up at his impact was, end. yes, his, his impact was was remarkable. Yeah, uh, And he had that one sack and was very, very impressive. I mean, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the guy you look to and say, hey, man, go get the quarterback on third down and long, and you're just big, fast, and strong, and you just run in a straight line, and you're going to get there. Yeah. I mean, I that, mean he, that was very impressive. He's C-ball hit ball or like you know he just he just hits hard <laughs> i've loved what we've seen early on yeah, seriously no there's just there's the versatility in that defensive end group too it's like booker's kind of your speed rusher type robinson's kind of the overall defensive end you know joiner's kind of a a pass rush specialist too like hey uh, your high motor guy yeah yeah always finds a way to be near the ball Davion yeah. westmoreland's got some stuff to him um, looking back at the uh, West Virginia last last season, that was your second game last year, and that was your first FBS game last season. You had zero sacks in that game. You had two QB hits and seven QB hurries. So total that all up, that's nine total pressures. Okay, last year in the West Virginia game. I don't. I'm I'm gonna guess off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm gonna guess against Illinois, it was like twenty. At well, you had you had, had six, six sacks. sacks on its own, yeah, you had right? Six sacks. I'm pulling many, it up. How now. many hurries did you get? Yeah, so you, you bet, but the view it just that way. You had almost as many sacks in the Illinois game as you had total, total pressures yeah. in the West Virginia game, which accounts for sacks, hits, and hurries. So in the uh, Illinois game, you had six sacks and seven hurries. So that's thirteen. Um, which I guess that doesn't sound like that much more, but four more over the course Q of the game. That is a lot more. And there was a lot more plays, too, in the West Virginia game. Yeah. Because it was higher tempo and the game went to overtime. So if you now view it from a like per play basis, which I think Illinois had 60 snaps, whereas in the West Virginia game, let's see, your uh, defense. Illinois, Illinois, it, it had 60, Illinois had 60 snaps, yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the, I mean, West Virginia game went to overtime, and it right. was already a higher tempo game. Fifty-five so to forty-two. They had more. Yeah, there were eighty snaps. So that's yeah. twenty extra. So twenty less snaps. You had four more pressures and six more snacks. Sna sacks. <laughs> Hopefully, Dude, many more a, snacks. I can many go for a snack snacks. right now. Yeah, who couldn't? Uh, but yeah, man, I, I just really impressed with the defense. Really impressed. Now, I think because of last year, like they, it more pertained last year when we were talking about the run defense how we said through the first X amount of games, like, yeah, we think the run defense is fixed. We think it's better. And I'm, not, I'm up, not taking the exactly. bait. I'm not taking the bait. Exactly. We're not going to take the bait. I'm not, not going to sit here and say, okay, automatically the KU defense. Last year, yes. week in, week out, I sat here and I was like, the run defense is fixed. Oh, wait a minute. It's not fixed. Wait, it is fixed. Rubber stamp, fixed. And then, you know, no. So I'm not, I'm not falling for the trap. I'm not going to do it. 
I'm not going to make any grandiose statements about the run defense. I'm just not going to because I fell for it last year and I got burned. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> through two weeks, returns but on very, the defense, great. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how it uh, carries on as you get into uh, Big 12 play in, in the Nevada game this week. Uh, we're going to take a timeout. David Lesky inside the crown is going to join us later this hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. David Lesky of Inside the Crown going to join us in about 10 minutes from right now with Nick Springer. You're, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. What were you about to say there? Well, no, I just was about to cut out my name. Um, <laughs> KU's going to be playing BYU, by the way. This came out today. They're going to be playing next Saturday, so that won't be this Saturday, yep. at 2.30 uh, p.m. Yeah, I'm really excited for just a normal kickoff. I mean, two Fridays, and then you're going to go kickoff at 9.30 this upcoming game against Nevada, like, thank God for just a normal kickoff time. Mm-hmm. And, hey, ESPN. The game's going to be on ESPN. Not ESPN 2, not ESPN News, not ESPN whatever the hell else. Which, by the ESPN. way, the fact the that ESPN. the KU-Illinois game was on ESPN 2 bothers me a little bit. Why? I mean, it's not that big of a difference. Well, I don't even like, know. What what was he, What was on ESPN? I, ju- I, don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Okay. It's, it's more the idea of like, hey, we're going to move this game to a Friday so it's a primetime game and we get this great national TV slot. And we obviously talked about how it, stu- it stunk that it interfered with like we have high school sports and, and all this yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and it did, which stunk. Like I didn't get to watch the game live. I had it on in a phone in the corner and then I had to rewatch the game afterwards. Yeah. Um, all that to be on ESPN2. It's like you weren't even on regular ESPN. I would assume that like probably was the U.S. Open on ESPN. Friday night? Maybe. I don't, know. I, I don't, don't know. even know. That just, it bothered me a little bit, I, I will say. Eh, I don't care. Okay, well, anyway, I'll, Kiss Crew, Nick, will be out at Big Mill next Saturday. We're going to have a uh, live show on KLWN noon to one, and then Kiss Crew will be there uh, noon to two, so mark that on your calendar. Okay, we have our Hit of the Week segment brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. So, uh, Options that stick out to you. Yeah, there was a lot of good candidates. Well, we just had this discussion off the air about, I, I think for most people, the most obvious pick for hit of the week would probably have to be Austin Booker absolutely just destroying Luke Altmeyer on a play that ultimately became targeting. So probably shouldn't pick that because of the targeting, I would think. So that is maybe, with no targeting, I think that's the clear pick, but because of the targeting, maybe we want to pick the, the collision, Pearson Collision hit of the week for a non an illegal hit, <laughs> yeah. I, even if, I don't think even if you thought it was legal, no, I I don't think it's smart to take a targeting one. Um, it leads to penalties and it ended up you know being a negative. Uh, yeah. So you get so you had six sacks. Mm-hmm. So J- Jeremy Robinson had a couple of big hits. JB Brown. Uh, let's see. There was a big hit by Marvin Grant at one point in the game. Yeah, he planted a receiver on a screen after yep. he picked up a couple yards. Yep. I don't know. Where, where, what are you feeling on this one? Um. Well, okay. Well, one of the first sacks of the game was uh, kind of funny. I, I think this might be a funny pick for a reason I'm going to get to here and say. Altmaier got sacked by Jeremy Robinson. It wasn't just a hit by Robinson. He also ran into his offensive line. He was like trying to step into the pocket, ran into his offensive line, and then Robinson brought him to the ground. That one would be a fun pick here because it's like a multi-hit collision, you know? Ah, true. So they yeah. got a bunch of guys involved in the hit. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but Do you I, get I think, bonus points for the more people involved I, in the I hit? I think so, yeah. It's like <laughs> bumper cars, you know? 
Uh, Luke Altmaier probably thought he was playing bumper car without, with how he got bounced around and jostled. Yeah. No, my my pick though is it's going to be Austin Booker. He he like absolutely drove. Not the not the targeting one. This was in the third quarter. There was like twelve minutes left in the third quarter. Absolutely drove Luke Altmaier into the turf uh, at the beginning of the second half. You know you're 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 up with your big lead and you're trying to preserve it. You have yep. some. Uh, more of a kind of push there at the beginning of the quarter to secure it. Like, we're not going to let you back. He's coming out at halftime feeling good, you know, feeling a little bit more loose after having mm-hmm. some time without getting hit, and then wham! Yes. <laughs> but I'm open if you want to pick the Jeremy Robinson one too. No, 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 no. I think that's I think the Austin okay. Booker one's a good pick because Austin Booker would get picked anyways for the other hit if it wasn't targeting. So yeah. I think I think he deserves to be picked. Yeah, it's like a career achievement award, yes. but in one game. You know, it's like. Man, how have we not had a uh, an Oscar go to Leonardo DiCaprio yet? It's like, well, okay, we'll we'll get him this. This might not be his best movie, but uh, it, it'll get him up there. So our leaderboard now: we had Marvin Grant in week one. We have uh, Austin Booker now in week two. Pearson Collision knows the accidents happen. They understand the stress and the pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, seventh in Connecticut in Lawrence. All right, we're going to take a time out here. We uh, still have case of the Mondays, NFL Monday overreactions, Lance Leipold postgame audio, more KU football talk after their uh, big win over Illinois coming up later throughout the show. Coming up on the other side, though, we're going to switch gears a little bit, talk a little Kansas City Royals baseball, who officially lost their 100th game over the weekend. We're going to talk about that next with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on RCST with KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That time on a Monday to be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. We uh, did not get to talk to David last week with Labor Day, so I guess for his uh, Player of the Week at the end, he can pick, uh, I don't know, a player from the last two weeks or each for each day, whatever it is. Either way, uh, check out all David's great work at Inside the Crown. David joins us now. Royals officially hit the century mark, and not in a good way. They lost their hundredth game of the season. Um, that obviously has been something that feels like it was going to be a certainty for a while now. But now that you see it and you see the record forty-four and a hundred, looking pretty abhorrent. If I told you back in early March that this would be the record, what do you think your reaction would have been about the team and the organization? Uh, not great. You know, it's it, um. I had them at, I think, 73 wins. Um, so, yeah, to get to now, what's what say, the 11, 44 and 100, um, not ideal. I think that they passed my, my 89 losses. Um, well, it would have had to have been in August still. So, yeah, uh, that, that's what we call a whiff in the industry. Um I, my guess, if you had told me back then that they would be they would sit forty four and hundred as we talked today, I probably would assume that Brady Singer got hurt, Bobby Witt Jr. got hurt, um, Vinny Pasquantino got hurt, which he did. So hey, we got one, um, and and it was basically just a bunch of a, a, a bunch of guys who were even less proven than the guys we thought they were going to have going into the season, which. Um, They've had some injuries. They haven't been the healthiest team, right? I mean, Chris Bubich made three starts and then went on the injured list for the year. Daniel Lynch has made, what, six starts, eight starts? Doesn't matter. Not enough. Um, Brady Singer's been bad. Like, it, it, it's 
they, they, they have not had the best of luck, um, but they, they certainly haven't gotten where they are in a way that I would have expected. Well, since the last time we uh, talked to you, there's been two starts for Cole Reagan's um, obviously had a bit of a walking problem last game, but overall over the two starts, 11 and two third innings of work, just two total hits, two earned runs, 13 strikeouts. At what point do we change the conversation and expectations of Cole Reagan's of being like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be pretty good to being like, I'm kind of expecting him to be like an all-star next year. Yeah. I mean, it's it, kind of there already. I think, I feel like just because it, it's not, there's a difference. If he had gone out over the last five starts, let's say, and thrown 30 innings with 28 hits allowed and a 3-5 ERA, 33 strikeouts, 12 walks, you're like, oh, that's a pretty good pitcher. But that's not what he's done. I don't know the exact numbers of the last five starts, but I think he, I think I saw, I think I wrote over the last four starts, he's given up seven hits. <laughs> like, but that's absurd. He's averaging fewer than two hits per start. And before yesterday, which I think there were some extenuating circumstances, not to say that you know you excuse six walks, but the strike zone was very tight. It was a fair zone for what it's worth. I mean, I, I don't. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with a fair zone because I feel like there's not a lot of those it, it, on the day to day in baseball. Um, there was a tight zone. I think that, that he could have gotten. There were a couple walks that. Maybe in a different zone wouldn't have happened. Whatever, that that's fine. And then he had the footing issue and all that. Um, but I mean, it, he walked one guy in the previous three starts with 27 strikeouts. But this is what he's doing has been so good that you almost have to reframe the narrative. Just because when it's that good, it, it becomes. I don't know that I want to say the expectation necessarily because in the area under under two, let alone zero, like it was for three starts. Um, not not realistic, but it becomes closer to the expectation. And and you suddenly start to change the conversation of, yeah, he could be a number three starter to, he's the guy who starts getting one of a playoff series. And it's not a question. You know, it, it, it becomes, they don't have to go out and sign an ace if they say they want to be competitive. They've got that. Now they need to sign a two, which, I mean, for the Royals, they probably were never signing an ace regardless, but it it, it changes everything for, for this. And, I mean, there is a little concern now because of what happened in, in the last three batters he faced yesterday. So I'll be curious to see how he comes out next or Friday, probably Saturday. I can't remember what, maybe Sunday. Um, yeah, I guess it'll be Sunday because they're off on Thursday. But he, I think he will face the Astros twice in a row. Um, it's a really big test. So the way that team is hitting, that that'll be a really interesting test for him. I don't know that there's anything he can do to fail that test other than get hurt. Um, but it'll be interesting. And yeah, I, I, look, you got to give credit to the Royals for. for I, I said this a million times, but Cole Reagan is right now, and and I mean, it, it's hard to imagine something bigger over the next couple of years, but. He appears to be the number one success story for this regime, and it might never change. And it's not because they won't do other good things; it's because he is that that good, and it's been that big of a success for them. 
I, I guess the one, I don't know, possible negative is those six walks last start. Now, that hadn't really mm-hmm. been a big issue for him before. I think in the previous, I don't know, 48 innings, like 11 walks. So, you know, not yeah. a huge deal there. But six walks uh, against the Blue Jays. Is that any reason, cause for concern at all? The only concern is is the first one. Um, so he had three walks, and then he worked around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I, I really think he was being very careful with him yesterday um, with two outs, nobody on in the sixth inning. I, I'm I'm fine with that. I know I know Vladdy hasn't been that great this year, but we've seen what he can do. We've seen one swing he can turn a ball around. I don't I don't love pitching around a guy with a two run lead with nobody on because it's like what what's the worst thing that can happen? You're down by one. You're up by, you're still you're only up by one set two. Um, but I also get it. And then he lost the footing, and it just wasn't right after that. And my concern is. Well, twofold, I guess. One is, did he get hurt? And I don't think he did, so that's a good thing. I don't know that he didn't, but I don't think he did. Um, but two, it sort of got to the point that he was hesitant, maybe is the wrong word, but I, I guess that's the best way I can put it. And I, and I hope that doesn't carry over to his next start, because if it does, then there's a problem. But I don't think there's a huge issue there. Okay, well, that is uh, good to know and good for my fantasy baseball team. So uh, that is the positive there. No, uh, but uh, to a different left-handed pitcher with a high ceiling, you know, if you would have said this was happening this year to Daniel Lynch, I don't think I would have batted an eye before the season started. I would have been like, okay, well, that's that's a pleasant surprise. But I would have been like, well, I've thought the potential is there the whole way, but it just hasn't happened. He's he's had the injury bug continued and, and has it once again right now. At what point do you think it would make sense? I don't know. Are we at that crossroads to move Daniel Lynch to the bullpen? I, you know, the answer is probably maybe, <laughs> which is not what you're looking for. But the, the problem with what the Royals have right now, can they afford to not start Daniel Lynch, who pitched okay as a starter before the injuries? Um, I guess in between the injuries is a better way to put it because he missed the first couple months of the season and then, Came back for a little while, and now he's been hurt for weeks. Um, but who else is starting next year? You know, I mean, obviously the roster's not set. We have no idea what it's going to look like next season. Somebody commented on inside the crown today, what's your over-under on, over under 95 losses next season? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, who's going to be on the team next year? I mean, I, what, what, how do you want me to answer that? I, I can't answer that question because we, we have no earthly idea what the world is going to look like in 2024. So, um, but as of right now, who are their starters? It's Cole Reagans. It's probably Brady Singer, although if he comes out tonight throwing 91, I'm going to be worried about that again because it will be the fourth straight start for him. So um, who else is it? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an answer for you, and I don't know if they can afford to move Daniel Lynch to the bullpen. But on the other hand, from a Daniel Lynch perspective, I don't know that they can afford to not move Daniel into the bullpen. <laughs> so it, it's, I, I guess what I'm saying is they need to go out and get three starters in, in the offseason. And I don't, I, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I really don't think it is because they, they need guys who can, who can go out there. I'm not even going to say 33 times because, you know, they're, they're few and far between now those, but 25 times they can go out and throw five or six innings, 25 times. They need to get at least three guys who can do that. And I don't know that you can count on Lynch to do that. And I, and I think that you have to you know, take him into consideration 
and and maybe say it's time to go to the bullpen, which I think could be a nice fit for him. Not that every starter can become a good reliever, but if he can if he can get that velocity to tick up, he's got a good slider, he's got a really good changeup. I mean, that can be a and he's a big you know big lanky lefty. That can be a nice weapon to, to throw out there against lefties. You know, he can get righties out too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's probably the way to go. I just wonder if they can do it. Well, to your point about adding a bunch of pitching, uh, there are kind of two directions I want to go with this. Uh, it was, I don't know, uh, sometime between when we last talked to you and the Angels dumped like all the players that they had acquired <laughs> yeah. at the trade deadline. Royals obviously didn't put a claim in on any of them. If they wanted to, they could have had one of the best claims because they were in the same league and, and had one of the worst record. Um, now, I don't know how much any of it would have made sense because you would have been adding to the payroll, and obviously there's nothing that they would have added to this year. Uh, but the one guy that I, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on with this is Lucas Giolito, who has really struggled here over the last couple of months of play. Before the season started, if you said, you know, Lucas Giolito at the end of the year, no extension, of course the White Sox would, or whatever team he would finish on, uh, would give him the qualifying offer at the end of the season. Now, I guess that, that kind of remains to be seen, and, and maybe they're, they're leaning toward no, but... Well, they can't, because uh, okay. he's been traded. Well, well, then so, that was going to be my question. If if the team yeah. picked him up, was able to, because I think that that might have maybe made sense for. The, I I don't know. Maybe that's too much money for the Royals. But um, when you look at them trying to get creative with what they can do for the pitchers, I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this. Just finding creative ways to get the pitching because at the end of the day, I I don't know that they're going to spend the money to bring on three starting pitchers. I, I guess another avenue for that could be making a trade. Is is there a position is, I don't know, maybe like an MJ Melendez, uh, maybe a Salvador Perez with, with the way Freddie Fermin has looked. Is, is there a position on the team that you think they could trade from to maybe try to get a starting pitcher? Yeah, I mean, I think you named two guys right there, Melendez and Salvi. Um, at this point, I, I'm I'm kind of leaning toward, I'd be a little surprised if Salvi is a Royal next year. Um I don't have we talked since since the White Sox fired everybody and hired Chris Getz? I don't think we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. The rumor is that Dayton Moore is going to the White Sox. If Dayton Moore and Pedro Griffol and Chris Getz are running the White Sox, I, I I think we might see Salvi on the on the South Side next year. I mean, it just seems seems too obvious. Um, the Marlins are obviously still interested as well. I mean, there's not a ton of landing spots for him, but there are a couple that are very obvious. So he's a guy who I think could bring back a starter. Um, if it's trade with the White Sox, it's a prospect more than a, than a than an actual established pitcher. So maybe it becomes a three-team deal. I don't know. But uh, the Marlins have some guys who can who, who would slot in right behind Cole Reagan in the Royals rotation, whether or not they, they should do that in the big league rotation or not. So um, there, there's an interesting thought there. And then Melendez, who has played really well, like really well in the second half, hit really well, um, looks like he's kind of back on track. But, you know, you go back to the beginning of the season, and, and we talked about this a while ago, months ago. Uh, J.J. Piccolo talked about guys they've explored extensions with, and Melendez's name never came up. Melendez is also a Boris client. I mean, look, the, the the players work for the agents work for the players, but Boris clients don't sign a lot of long term extensions. They do sign some. It's not a zero zero percent chance, but 
I would be I would be very surprised if Melendez signs long term. And um, I don't know if the Royals should do that based on what like fifty games at this point. So I wonder if they do sell high. And I think I think yeah, I think maybe there's a a young starter that they can come back from that. But um, you know what's interesting is I wonder too how how heavy do they play in the reclamation process, uh, reclamation game? Because there are a few guys who are really, really interesting. Luis Severino is interesting. Frankie Montas is interesting. I'm, I'm sure I'm, Lucas Giolito might become one too. Um, I'm not. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. But if you're a starting pitcher, the Royals there are worse places to pitch than a big park with a good defense behind you. And I, I could see them saying, all right, we can't get – Aaron Nola is not going to say yes to this offer, or whoever it is. It doesn't matter. Why not throw some stuff against the wall and see what sticks? And like I said, there are guys – if you're a fly ball pitcher and you've got Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell out there and you've traded Melendez so he's not out there, I mean, it's, it's attractive, I think. Um, so – that might be the route they go, and they just hope to sift through a bunch of guys. Talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Michael Massey had, I mean, that one that one play in the field was awesome when he uh, yeah. kind of flips it back, and, and you have uh, Bobby Witt over there. Has he done enough to secure a starting spot in 2024? Probably not, no. Um, the bat came around for a while. What's interesting about Massey I think the approach has been generally pretty good and consistent since April. Uh, April was bad. We know that. He worked his first walk last game of the month. It was a pitch clock violation. Like, he was bad for the first month. He's been fine since then. I think the approach has been more than fine. The results just haven't been there. Um, I, I, I believe the power is real. And I'm not, he's not a 30 home run guy, but I, I think if you, I think if he had 650 at bats or 600 bats or whatever, I think he hit 20 home runs. I think that's for real. I just don't know if the quality of contact is going to be enough to be the guy who plays 150 games. But McLaughlin makes things really interesting, um, and and you know maybe maybe Michael Garcia makes things interesting too. But I, I could see Michael Massey leading the strong side of a platoon that maybe he doesn't play quite as much as the typical strong side. Um, and I think Nick Lofton, being right-handed, being a good defender at second also, I think that changes some things a little bit. And, and maybe you don't look at Massey as a second baseman, but Massey and Lofton – and you can see you can see a pretty productive pair that, that plays most of the games there. And uh, as I alluded to at the beginning of the segment, if you want to give two players of the week, if you want to give one for the two week stretch, whatever you want to do, who is your uh, player of the week or two? Yeah, so I, I actually did. I looked at the last uh, two weeks, and there are so two guys at the top: Everett Oliveras and Nick Lofton. Um, didn't quite get enough playing time, in my opinion. So. Um, you know, Oliveras though did have an 1100 slugging percentage in the last two weeks with four homers. 
Um, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go down to Nelson Velasquez though, who had a 151 weighted runs created plus. He walked a little bit. His strikeouts were down some. He also hit four home runs. Uh, um, really good couple weeks for him. And Bobby Witt slumped, which has given him uh, a few guys some chances to win this prestigious award. And, and I'm I'm giving it to Velasquez this week. All right, so some fresh blood in there. Well, David, I appreciate the time as always, man. You can check out all his work inside the crown. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky inside the crown as the uh, baseball season is fleeting. That's only 18 regular season games remaining for the Kansas City Royals. Thank you to David for hopping on the show here. One hour down, two to go. We got Case of the Mondays. We got College Football Whip Around. We got NFL Monday Overreactions. More KU Football Talk. Lance Leipold postgame audio. All that to come throughout the show. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depending on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, time for your case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, I guess... Case of the Mondays for people who want to trade Chris Jones. (laughs) Well, because it's not... It's, uh, I guess, not happening now. Uh, I'm still waiting on to see like details and more of what this means, but Ian Rappaport of uh, NFL Network just tweeted out, Hold out over. The Chiefs and defensive tackle Chris Jones have agreed on terms or two terms on a one-year deal. Now, this is... Uh, now, we just had the conversation right when this news broke, you know, before we came on here. Does that mean that it's a one-year extension, yeah. or did they just rework it to where he's going to play the rest of this year, and then like? But that would be. But wouldn't that be stupid for the Chiefs? Because wouldn't it be a lot smarter to just trade him? But if he's if he's going to be a free agent, then now anything it's, for him, I guess at this like, point. What I don't understand. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a little confused on how this is going to work too, and. and Am I wrong? I, I thought they had like zero cap space. Maybe the cap space went up. Maybe there was something that, that happens once the season begins. I, I know there's something with like, oh, the 51-man roster. Then maybe they clear up more cap space. Maybe this is the Chiefs just basically reworking his one-year deal, whatever he was owed this year. I think like one year, 20 mil. And they're just like, all right, listen, we'll deal with the uh, extension co- talks this next offseason, or we'll just tag you then and trade you or but, let you go. But we're just going to rework dumb. your deal this year and so that you don't hold out anymore this year. Here's one year, 25 million instead of the one year 20 you would make uh you get money the rest of the way you don't have to miss game checks the rest of the way boom you play the rest of the year then we can go our separate ways or like you said is it a one-year extension where it's he'll play now on this year and then he'll play on another year after that where the one-year extension is like 30 but, million dollars so i don't delaying, know you're just delaying all this crap by another year maybe but doesn't that give the chiefs the option next off season to to do that trade that you just referred to I mean, it's I guess. hard to trade him now. No, when I understand. It's like, no, I know. Listen, I oh, never we got a advocated. Second and a fourth back no. for him, but we can't use that till next. Offseason, I never advocated right? for trading him ever. Yeah, just to be clear, right now. But I, I mean, so I guess, I guess maybe that does make sense. Which maybe that indicates that that means they are guaranteed going to trade him. 
I, I don't I don't really know. Uh, this is the, this seems a bit peculiar to me, honestly. The, the timing of it is a bit weird. Uh, you know, directly after the first game, and uh, and it, it was not like it was not like the Chiefs got gashed in the first game with Chris Jones not there. The defense had no, a good. pretty solid game. So it's not like it wasn't like the Chiefs got blown out and the defense was terrible. And so Brett Veach was like, "Wait a second, we got to get this guy in here." That didn't happen. So I, I I'm, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really know what to make of this. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. So I'll, I'll let you know if I see anything more. Okay, here's from Adam Schefter. Uh, Chris Jones still has one year left on his deal with the Chiefs. No new years were added to his contract, but he received multiple incentives to earn. Cons- Considerably more money this season. Okay, so it's so it's not an extension. It's just a hey, get get your butt in the building and play this season. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. It's just we want you here. Don't hold out anymore. We have a little <laughs> extra money left over here. Make this amount of money okay. instead of a little less. But you'll so do you think that means it's guaranteed to trade him next year? I feel like yeah, that'll be the move. It'll be franchise tag, guaranteed trade, trade, right? I mean, right? I mean, unless, probably unless he at this point. I mean, how? I mean. Otherwise, you'd have to try to sign him to another deal at the end of this off at the yeah, end of this season, which it's clear they are which, pretty far apart. Yeah, you know, unless the Chiefs move. I mean, I don't know. Unless, unless either he has a bad year and the Chiefs can maybe convince him to take less money, or I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I guess also case of the Mondays possibly for Chris Jones being case on the of the Chiefs Mondays for understanding contracts. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Uh, also case of the Mondays today for Oklahoma football who uh, won kind of a ho-hum game against SMU. I don't think they looked great. They didn't look horribly. Dude, it was, it was like, a dogfight. Yeah, it was kind of a lower scoring game than I thought it would be. Yes. But luckily for my bank account, they ended up covering. Yeah, barely. It was like, what, 28 to 11 or yes, something? Yes, the line was 16, 16 and, and a half. half. Yeah. Yep, 16 and a half, and they ended up covering. It was a miracle that they covered. They should not have covered. Yes. Be honest with you. Uh, but one of the big stories of the game isn't about them winning the game, isn't about them moving to 2-0. and It's that... Their offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, um, brought Art Bryles with him to the game and brought him on field wearing Oklahoma gear. And obviously, Art Bryles is, I would say, it's like you don't want to be caught with more, Art Bryles, I guess it, is the good way to put it. He's a more right? incendiary figure, to, yes. say, to say the least. Yes, uh, because of everything that happened at Baylor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, not only this, but Jeff Levy, because after the game, like Brent Venables was not really in on this idea of this to happen. Mm. But instead of Jeff Jeff Levy like apologizing or just moving on from it, he has now doubled down. He made comments about it in the post game, and now his profile picture on Instagram is a picture with him taking a picture next to Art Bryles. Yeah, but this just doesn't make any sense to me because if you're Jeff Levy, like, what do you have to gain by being like? Art Bryles is my best friend. I will right. not be silenced. Like, what do you have to gain by that? Well, I mean, what, I, you, what's your, what are you trying to accomplish? Seriously, like, what? What? I don't understand the purpose of this at all. I mean, even if you are, you know, let's say, I mean, you know, let's say you are have a relationship or a friendship with with the guy that, you know, depending on who you ask, maybe Art Bryles is more at guilt or less at guilt, depending on who you talk to about what went on there. Even if you have a good friendship with a person like that, like. You don't. There's. You don't need to go out. I mean, I, I guess I don't understand what. Why is Jeff Libby going out on a limb here? Why? What's he stick? What's he sticking his neck out for? Like why? Yeah, I don't what's know. What's the reasoning behind this? Uh, that doesn't a make any sense. Question. He has since apologized for the distraction uh, that it caused. Um, obviously, 
that makes it more case than Mondays because he had to address it today. But I didn't know this either. Apparently, he's his father-in-law. Yeah, so that adds uh, to it. <laughs> but still, like know. you gotta know, you have to understand this is not okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. It's it's not like the guy was let go from his position because he just didn't do well, and like, oh, it's weird. Oh, here's this Baylor coach on the field with all. It's like, okay, whatever. It's like. The dude was fired because of all these, you know, sexual assaults and, and rape things that were happening at Baylor that he was covering uh, up. Like, can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Not great. Uh, case of the Mondays for announcers going too far. Dude, wild weekend for broadcast. Yeah, it was. There was the one of uh, Matt Ryan in the booth making his uh, his debut. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. And, I uh, that one. Yeah, I think it was Andrew Catalan was the name of the player. Yeah, who, was guy. Like, who was like, he's like, well, oh, you know, at halftime, it should be, you know, the score should be 28 to 3. Oh, <laughs> I feel so bad for Matt Ryan. And there is a, if you haven't seen the video, there is a visceral reaction from Matt Ryan. Yeah. Like, he doesn't say anything. Like, it, they don't talk about it. It's not acknowledged. But in the video, you can see Matt Ryan, like, viscerally be like, like, scoff. Yes. Then the color announcer in the Saints Titans game, and I don't I don't know who this color announcer was because they, they I actually watched part of this game and I didn't know who that I was didn't recognize either, who either I, of the announcers I, were in that I, game. I, I, don't I know. think there was the new crew, so I I don't know who they were. Uh, but this is a direct quote. This is not me paraphrasing a single thing. Quote: I'm not kidding when I tell you that I think Taysom Hill is one of the best football players ever. End quote. Well, Taysom Hill is one of the football players ever. <laughs> he is he one is of the one football of players ever, yes. He is a Actually football correct. player to ever play, yes. Well, and he he lost all ability to like back out of this and be like, I can explain it this way, when he said, I'm not kidding when I tell you <laughs> that I think, like, the way that he starts that. I mean, I guess the only logical argument you could even reasonably, even like, and this is still very illogical, but you could maybe even like try to back it up and just be like, you know, Taysom Hill has shown that he can be a, a fringe starter at quarterback and at tight end. Like he's a multi-positional starter. The, because he's but no, he's not I, even I a starter. I, I don't know. Back up every position. He's shown that he like, can be a fringe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like so, because he's because he's okay at everything, he's one of the greatest players ever. Because he'd be a solid third string quarterback and a solid backup tight end and a solid backup H back and a solid fourth and string maybe running he could back. Play like linebacker. Yeah, third string like linebacker the squad. That makes him one of the greatest football players ever. So that's not great. And then uh, during the Kentucky football game, this, this one was the wildest. The announcer thought. said this. This was about uh, one of uh, Pete Sousa. I or I don't know if that was the name of the player or that's the, the broadcaster. Uh, that was the broadcaster. The player, the player was Ray was, Davis. Ray Davis. Okay. Um, so this was, he apparently was a transfer portal player that Kentucky picked up. Quote, nine months ago when he jumped in the portal, everybody wanted him. 11 years ago, as a foster kid, really nobody wanted him. End quote. Yeah, just. Like, well, what are we doing here? Agree. What, what are we doing here? I mean, this is where, you know, I, I this is where I think you have to be careful with the lines of like, it's fun to drop nuggets into a story. It's fun to have personal anecdotes that connect fans with players. But there are certain... I mean, listen, I'm a broadcaster. You're a broadcaster when we when you do broadcasting. The biggest thing you're taught is that it's, it's about timing. It's about flow. There are times where you talk about nuggets that you have, okay? Just because you have an interesting factoid or an interesting nugget or an interesting personal story about a player... That doesn't mean you just fit it in there any way you can, okay? There are times and situations where you can talk about it, 
but it doesn't necessarily. You don't have to get it in there, and this is not a situation where you would have done that. No, it just not I just that. don't understand. Yeah, man, uh, that's just yeah. You can't, you can't do that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is having a case of the Mondays. I think. Yeah, I I can't imagine he's he's after that first week being like, oh, I'm so glad I signed with the Titans. But again, he doesn't care. It's all about the money for him. It always was. It always has been. Right? Uh, well, in the moment, it probably was. But now that you're actually having I mean, to live am, through the season. I mean, like, I am. I Listen, I have seen through the mirage of DeAndre Hopkins. Okay? He's on the Cardinals. The Cardinals stink. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm a guy that's like a fringe Hall of Fame wide receiver. I'm going to be on a, I, you know, I'm requesting a trade. Put me on a team. I'm going to go play for a team that is going to win a Super Bowl. And in his mind, he's probably thinking some team out there, the Bills, Chiefs, you know, at filling Super Bowl contending team blank in the blank here is going to pay me 15 to $20 million a year to go be the number one receiver for that team because I'm elite and I'm DeAndre Hopkins and that's how much I'm worth. Well, then turns out yeah, nobody's paying you that much. Okay. So what do you do? Well, if you really wanted to play for a Super Bowl contending team, you probably would have negotiated, you know, okay, nobody's going to give me OBJ money. Fine, I'll just take a little less money and still be on a Super Bowl contending team because I want to win a Super Bowl. I want to cement my legacy as a Hall of Fame wide receiver. <laughs> That's not what you wanted. You know what you wanted? You wanted the fifteen to twenty million dollars a year. But here comes the old crappy average Titans. Oh, here you go, DeAndre Hopkins. Signed, sealed, delivered. Now you're on a crappy team. Cry me a river. Seriously. But it's it's not just that. It's the guy throwing in the ball. Ryan Tannehill looks washed. Um. You know well, hang on. In order to be watched, you had to have been good at some point. I thought he was, like, solid. So what, like I, top 15 like no, quarterback yeah, in yeah, the league? I think, I think he was probably right. Like, there were a couple years where he was in a perfect system. Yeah, they had everything going with him. That Yeah, he was probably in that, like, 12 to 16 range. I mean, listen, I tried to tell you last week, the Titans are not going to be good. Yeah. They're not going to be good. Well, I, They're going to win six games. I mean, even games. with them playing that bad, though, they only lost by one on the road to a Saints team that is projected to win their division. Not a great Saints to team. To win the still, worst division know, in the history of football. They're projected to win nine or ten games. So it's not like a horrible team. Um, in the worst division. I, I, I get it. A I'm team with me and you can win nine games in the NFC South. Ryan Tannehill had a 10.3 total QBR. That is bad. That is really, really bad. He had three interceptions. I, don't, I mean, I don't, I, am I, are you telling me this to try to make me feel sorry for DeAndre Hopkins? I don't understand. No, I'm just saying. I think he probably is having a case of the Monday saves. Like, okay, well, I can't believe he should I have a case of the Mondays. That Ryan Tannehill was gonna be a better situation than like, I don't know what I've been through. Literally you know? any other situation. Yeah. Uh, future Cabrian Hayes and everyone who wants the automatic uh, ball strikes uh, system or the uh, uh, so Robo Umps is it's technically called ABS, which by the way that's stupid. Yeah, just call it Robo Umps oh. or call it something cooler than ABS. Um, he was uh, called for a strike that he disagreed with. It's the automatic ball strike system. Um. And he went on social media afterwards and said, some umpires really don't care. 3-1 call, not even close. I hold him accountable after the game, walking off the field. And his response is shrug emoji. I gave you a chance to hit a home run. That tells me you don't care at all. Now, listen, I understand the complaint here with the ump. Bad calls do happen. I'll say this. If anyway, the, the robo-ump sounds better in, in practice than it actually is. And you'll see this all the time. Fans will get mad about this call not going their way, or this strike not going their way, which 
I always find silly because it's a 162 game season. Like, chill out. And um, most MLB umpires have like what a 95. Yeah, it's like 90, 92 percent of what they're getting right. So for the most part, they are for the balls and strikes. For the regular calls, it, it's even higher than that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like if you've ever actually seen it in practice, the ABS, it's, it's going on in in some of the minor league games. Yeah, so did this happen in a minor league game? No, this is uh, Brian Hayes, uh, a player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh. He's a major league player. Um, so he, what? So I'm confused. Was he the one that? He's a batter. Okay. And he was upset that there was a three-one pitch that he thought was a ball that oh, was outside of the strike in zone. In a Pirates game. Got and so he strike. was like, "We need to have up. ABS yeah. and the MLB." Yeah. It was oh, okay. Moment okay. In the game. Um, I follow now. If you've actually seen it in practice, I am telling you right now, it is not as good as you think it is. There are a lot of weird strikes. That pitches that have kind of seemed to technically count as strikes that nobody would ever think is a strike, but the ABS system just registers it that way for some reason. There's certain dead zones and areas that it is not a perfect system. So uh, the the whole idea to me, every time I see somebody being like, "We want robo ups," I'm like, I actually don't want robo ups. I'm actually out on it. Yeah, I'm actually pro taking science out of sports. Make it more human. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, also. Uh, Case of the Mondays for 2024 other countries basketball. The Olympics are in 2024. Team USA lost in the uh, to Germany in the semifinals of the uh, the FIBA World Cup, so not great there. Uh, but maybe that has caused some of these NBA stars to be like, "Hey, maybe Dude, we actually should play." The memes about this have been hilarious. <laughs> it's been like LeBron James as Nick Fury assembling the Avengers, like. Calling up Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like, all right, we got to go. Yeah. You know, we we got to go take back the title. Yeah, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry are all showing interest to uh, some level or another. And there are other players that, that could return, like Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, yeah, Devin Draymond Booker, Green. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe Kevin, like Durant, Kevin Durant. Yeah. yeah. Joel Embiid could go with France or, or the U.S. We'll see how uh, that kind of ends up. Um, but yeah, yeah this is just hilarious. I, like, I, let's, it's like, it's like you know, the U.S. The players together. Yeah, it's like the U.S. is like, you know what? We're, we're good enough to beat, you know, everybody else in the world with, like, the C-team NBA, you know, the C-team like, U.S. out, team. no. But it turns out that that's not how it works. So now it's like, oh, okay, now, you know, old LeBron and Kevin Durant, and now, okay, now we got to come, we got to come win, the, you know, the Olympics by 40 points. All right, fine, we will. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. College football whip around next. NFL Monday overreactions after that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. About a quarter till five, we've got some Lance Leipold postgame audio. More KU football talk coming up in the five o'clock hour here after their 34-23 victory over Illinois with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN's RCST. Before we get to any of that, though, it's time for our NFL Monday overreactions. What do we got today, Nick? That's right. We're back. And you know what? Nothing gets the juices flowing like overreacting. Okay? It's just fun. It's fun. It's fun to do. I enjoy it. That's what we do out here, here on RCST. First up, and this actually becomes even more of an interesting overreaction because of what just happened earlier in the hour. The Chiefs, they should have traded Chris Jones and kept Tyreek Hill. Why didn't they do that? Would have made way more sense. Problem I mean, solved with the wide receiver. Yeah. We're fine against the Lions. Trade Chris Jones, keep Tyreek Hill. Why didn't, why, how could Brett Veach possibly have not had the foresight to do that instead? Well, and the, the irony of all this is that Tyreek Hill is basically getting as much money as Chris Jones wants anyway, right? So it's, it's basically the same amount of money there. 
Um, would you have? I, I guess the first question here is: Would you have gotten the same package? Would you have gotten the same package you got for Tyreek Hill for Chris Jones? I don't know that you would have. Chris Jones is no, very valuable, but Tyreek Hill, time, is, yeah. At the time, Chris Jones had not been coming off of yes. his best season ever. And Tyreek Hill. Uh, so it's it's very, yeah. very difficult to compare the situations because you really I don't think you really can. No, it's it's a lot harder to. So it's it's hard then. And then if you're saying you didn't get the same package, because basically that package allowed you to win the Super Bowl last year. Yes. Now, there is an interesting hypothetical. Do you win the Super Bowl last year with Tyreek Hill? But without some of the pieces you would have had instead, right? I, I don't know. Or like without you Chris don't Jones. Have I mean, Chris Jaylen. Jones makes the sack to end the game in the Bengals. Yeah, exactly. Like Bengals, right? like, I mean, he was so good in the, the, the AFC Championship I mean, game. I don't, I don't know what you do. I kind of think that you don't win the Super Bowl if you had Tyreek Hill last year. Like, I think it worked the Chiefs' benefit that they added more depth on the defensive side of the ball because of the, yeah. the draft picks I mean, they the got. Only reason, the only reason this is even a discussion is because yeah, Tyree people Hill thought Tyreek Hill would... He, I mean, eventually he's got to get slower, right? You would think. Well, it hasn't happened yet. That's the only no. reason why this discussion is even worth having because it turns out Tyreek Hill is just still the fastest. Well, you see him player. go for 200 yards yesterday and just dominate the Chargers, and it's like, oh, I and it feels worse because you just watched Carriers Tony. Yes, not you able to catch every one of your receivers not be able. To. That's the yeah. thing. If the Chiefs would have beat the Lions, if Canarius Tony catches the last pass he had, and just they're in field goal range and they win 23 to 21, I don't think. I would be feeling, or a lot of people would be feeling this way after yeah. the week, where it's like, oh, I really miss Tyreek. Obviously, you, you miss a guy who's going to put up those stats, but like, it'd be like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. We're still fine. We won a Super Bowl. We won week one. It's because of exactly what happened. So, no, I, I think it actually worked out that way that, um, yes, in theory, if you could now trade Chris Jones for Tyreek Hill and just swap him out, you'd do it. But I, I think the way that the roster was constructed yep. hey, last year was how up, they needed to win the Super Bowl. Call up the Dolphins. Yeah. Hey, Dolphins. You want Chris Jones? Here's Looks like Chris his defense Jones. isn't very good. We'll take Tyreek. got Jalen Waddle. Just give us Tyreek back. We'll yeah. give you Chris Jones. Uh, okay, what do we have next? All right, Joe Burrow. It turns out that maybe he shouldn't have played against the, uh, against the Browns. He wasn't fully healthy. Did the Bengals rush him back? I think they did. I, I don't think this is an overreaction. Um... I don't think he should have played, to be completely honest. Have you considered that he might just be bad? He just sucks? I have not considered that because I think the track record would say that he is a very good quarterback. <laughs> For my money, the second-best quarterback in the NFL. We'll see how, how he does the rest of the year and Josh Allen does this year. Maybe that'll switch back because it feels like it was it was consensus. Josh Allen was the guy two years ago. Last year, the consensus was Joe Burrow was, was the consensus second-best guy behind Patrick. Um, I think the good news is it feels like we finally turned a corner on mm-hmm. the discourse to where... We don't have people claiming that those guys are better than Patrick Mahomes. No. Yeah, it's hard you know, to... It, it feels the like second we, Super Bowl, it, it takes It feels like level. we have yeah. finally turned the corner on clowns being like, well, Josh Allen's way better than Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow's way better than Patrick Mahomes. No, they're not. They can still be really good. Okay? They can still be really good. Mm-hmm. They're just not as good. No. Period. Sorry. No, but he struggled. He had a. Uh, I talked about Ryan Tannehill having a ten QBR. He had a thirteen. Or guess how many yards Joe Burrow was on pace to throw for this season? How many? It's like thirteen hundred and ninety. That is insane. <laughs> that was bad, man. They couldn't. They couldn't complete pass. And it wasn't all him. Uh, I don't think the Bengals are feeling great about the Week One returns from Orlando Brown. 
or the offensive line. Yeah, that line. was funny. Yeah, I did see Miles that. Garrett just dominated them. Yep. Now, you're not going to have to play Miles Garrett every Oddly enough, the Browns kind of own Joe Burrow. I think they're like 4-1 and one or something against that sucks, them. Joe Burrow. Which is just like a weird matchup to be like that again. <laughs> which is a further reason not to count head-to-head QB wins as being like, like how Joe Burrow is 3-1 and one against Patrick Mahomes. Like that, They're playing different defenses. They're playing different things. It's like, oh, Jared Goff's 2-0 and oh against Patrick Mahomes now. Are we saying Jared Goff's better than Patrick Mahomes? Of course not, right? It's so stupid. But anyway, uh, he did not look the same. Why would you not rest him? Why would you? It's week one of the season. I mean, he's your star who's franchise the Bengals quarterback. Backup? Is it still AJ McCarron? No, no, it's uh, uh, they, they actually took Burrow out in, on the last like five minutes of the game. It's um, Jake Browning. Which oh. I didn't even know he was still in the NFL. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah former Washington quarterback when they uh, went to the playoff like a decade ago. <laughs> All right. How about this? Ravens making a change at the offensive coordinator was actually bad. Mm. And it's bad for Lamar. Okay, so I think over. Well, I actually. This is okay, an I don't know. I don't know that it is. This is an overreaction. I don't know. That I think it is. for sure it is. I'm willing to fight for this one. One weekend overreaction for sure. It is just one weekend, and on one hand, Lamar Demico was hurt. Ryan's. Well, that's not good if he's already hurt in week one. Well, no, I'm saying he was hurt last year. Oh, okay. So he. So Lamar's coming back. Into a full season with a new offense. Yeah, I guess first I should say, well, they made a change in offense coordinator. It's been Greg Roman, or yeah, Greg Roman. Is that the name of the guy? Um, no, that doesn't sound right. Uh, whatever the name of the guy is, who was their previous offense coordinator, steered into Lamar Jackson, read option play, running game. They hit a bit of a wall last year and weren't a great offense, but like Nick said, he was injured a lot last year. So they, they bring in the Georgia offense coordinator, uh, Munkin, Todd yes. Munkin, yes. and he basically wants to make it more of a balanced offense, basically what Georgia had, where they're going to run in heavy packages. They're, so they're still going to have that element, but they're going to throw. They're going to throw play action. Not going to be a ton of read option stuff. Now, Georgia did do some of that with Stetson Bennett. I'm sure they'll have, they have See, it. See, I was an advocate but. for the Ravens just leaning into running the ball even more and just being coming mm-hmm. like a triple option offense. But see, they're not doing that. They're I know. more of a pro style offense. I know. That's why I don't think this is an overreaction. Because I, I think this might have been the wrong play. You did not play to your guy's strengths. And, yeah. and it's only one week. D'Amico Ryan's the head coach of the Texans, really good defense coordinator. I don't think the Texans have a great defense, but I, I think they'll probably be about, I don't know. I, honestly, I didn't I didn't catch any of the Ravens game. I mean, I saw they won They They really easily. struggled. They really struggled. And they, Lamar they Jackson. They ended up winning easily, though. They did, but it was because the defense just couldn't be stopped. Or, or the defense couldn't be not stopped. The <laughs> Texans couldn't do anything <laughs> against the Ravens. C.J. Stroud struggled. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a 13.6 QBR in week one. That's not great. So I don't know, man. I, I wonder if this is playing away from his strengths. I don't think it's an overreaction. Baker Mayfield. He'll be a starter in the NFL longer than Ryan Tannehill. Oh, yeah. Also not an overreaction. But you're a Ryan Tannehill truther, I thought. Oh, Ryan Tannehill's so no. good. I said a couple years ago, like at his peak, he was in that, I don't know, 12 to 16 range. Probably. Okay, the only reason this is not an overreaction is because one of these guys plays in the NFC and one of them plays in the AFC. <laughs> if Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback for the Panthers or for, no, I, I don't know, I, who I, else, I disagree. I think he Ryan would be Tannehill, better. Nope. He would be way better. I think at this point, Ryan Tannehill is so or if washed. Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback for the commander. I think Ryan Tannehill at this point is a bottom five quarterback in the NFL. Wow. How about that? Wow. They that did is play a, a team in the AFC. That is a statement. Or in the NFC in week one. No, I'm saying if Ryan Tannehill played for one of those I know, teams. I know what you mean. Uh, Baker Mayfield looked pretty if good. If he I, got to play crap quarterbacks yeah. every week, he'd be fine. I, I, I mean, Baker see, Mayfield just got to beat Kirk Cousins. No, I, I could I could see the Baker Mayfield thing flaming out later in the year, but I think uh, eventually I mean, Tannehill's going to get benched this year for Will Levis. Right now, Ryan Tannehill's a top four quarterback in the NFC. 
No. Yes. Not even close. Who is above him in the NFC? Matt Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Kirk Cousins, and then who? Um, okay, let's see. I would put Derek Carr in ahead of him. Dude, did you see the game yesterday for the Titans? He was so bad. He every pass that Derek he Carr beat him by one point. Every pass that he completed, Derek was Carr beat him by one point. He had three interceptions. Derek, you you're you're saying Derek Carr's better than him? He beat him by one point. Baker Mayfield's better than him at this point. Uh, that's not even. I'm, I'm being dead serious. He is better than him at this point. He is very bad. Brock Purdy's better. By the way, Brock Purdy's number one in total QBR after week <laughs> one. How about that? Yeah, that's because he gets to go. Hey, turn around, and hand it off. Ninety percent of the time. Jared Goff's better than him. Um, Jordan Love's better than him. Jordan Love looked pretty good in week one. How about that? No, disagree with that. I like my Packers future bet. Feeling good about that one. All right, we're going to move on from this conversation. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys, after just, I, the, there's no words to describe what they did <laughs> to the Giants. They're, are they, they're the best team in the NFC. They have to be. Right? I think I'm on board with this. I'm okay. on board with this. You're I've with been this? for a while trying to be, like, as, as much as I think the Eagles are a really good team, and I think they'll have a great season here, although they almost blew that game late against the Patriots. It's hard for me to pick a team to go to back-to-back Super Bowls when I don't think they have a, like, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. It is so hard to get to back-to-back Super Bowls, even if you are Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. But it just rarely happens that that teams make back-to-back Super Bowls. It's tough. It's very tough. And so I'm looking for another team to pick, and I'm like, they play in the... Conference of the blind and I know, poor. I know, and that's that's my problem. Where I'm like, man, I just don't want to pick them to go back to the Super Bowl. It's just it's so hard to get back there. But it's like, who else am I going to pick? It's like, well, I guess I pick the 49ers. Like yeah. they're good enough to do it. But also, it, you still keep circling back. Here's why. Brock this, Purdy. Here's yeah. why this is an overreaction. Uh-huh. Dak owns the cow owns the Giants. I don't think Dak has ever lost to the Giants. Is that true? Yes. Wow. I'm pretty sure that's true. I don't I think like he's ever lost to the Giants. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's I'm going to take your word for it, but I don't believe it <laughs> at the same point in time. That, that's why it's an overreaction. Because they played the Giants. Beat a real team. 40 to zero. I mean, that's beat a, a real team. team from last year. You bet on the Giants in this game. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. On, on, well, on, oh, on, on game, picks? game picks. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't actually in real life, which <laughs> thank God I didn't. Yeah. I should have gone with the Cowboys. But. I think the Cowboys might have the best defense in the NFC, maybe the entire NFL. Got great skill position players. I'm buying this. I'm buying this. I think the Cowboys are the best team in the NFC. No. All right. So you have the Cardinals, who presumably might get the number one pick. But the what about the Commanders, the Bears, and the Colts being teams that are in the conversation of being the, oh, having the number one overall pick? Those three. Um, I think a bit of an overreaction to the Commanders. I know they barely beat the Cardinals, but I, I think the floor there is they'll get six or seven wins. So they won't be in discussion. The Bears, maybe, man. They got killed by the Packers. It didn't look yeah, like Justin Fields has really taken a step up. Yeah, I mean, it's just one week. We'll see. Yeah. Colts, I don't know. Anthony Richardson had some good flashes, but also like... I think that's how it's going to be. I think, yeah. the, I think the Colts season is going to be... Anthony Richardson's going to make some plays, but they're still going to win like three games. Yeah, I could see that. Because I all the skill players were bad. Like a couple of the skill players just had horrible fumbles. They had a bunch of skill players where it's like, who are you? There's like yes. Deion Jackson or something at running back. I'm like, who are these people? I don't know who any of these are. And like, their oh, defense the isn't way. very good for them either. So I'm buying the, yeah, I, th- I think the Colts will be in contention for it. Bears, I wouldn't be surprised. But it's, I think I the mean, Bears will have four or five. It's so got to be the Cardinals, more. right? Yeah, Cardinals are definitely I mean, they. I mean, those boys are terrible. And you could say, oh, they were feisty in week one and they only lost by four. But it took Washington trying to lose the game. Yes. Washington and how had, many, what, like three turnovers? How many and, weeks can you be yeah. feisty? Not that many, no. probably. It'll, well, your your spirit will be broken yes. after you're like zero and four. Yes, it's exactly. like okay. Well, I'm, I'm tired of being feisty. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. 
Okay, the Rams. They're back. They're back. You were just wondering who's mm-hmm. going to be in the Super Bowl. The Rams. No, I mean, this, back. this might not be a bad pick. Um, I, I think I think pretty highly of the Seahawks, although I think a little less highly than after week one. But also part of that was the Rams. Did you see the one clip, by the way, where Geno Smith gets pressured by Aaron Donald? <laughs> he said, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, oh, <laughs> my God. Dude, I'd be saying a lot more <laughs> yeah. than, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Well, here's what happened. Uh, I'd funny, be saying though. a lot of stuff, and then I'd be saying nothing because <laughs> I would be six feet in the ground. Oh, uh, that was great. That was great. Because Aaron Donald would pile drive me literally through the earth. But yeah, that see, that's why I thought the Rams could be a good bounce back candidate because it's like the Sean McVay system is really good, and now that Matthew Stafford's back, uh, they'll run the ball well. Although Cam Akers had the weirdest stat line ever. Did you see what he put up? I didn't, I didn't see. Him. He had uh, 22 carries. Would you like to guess how many yards he had? Oh, I'm guessing he had like 30. He had 29 yards on 22 <laughs> carries. But I don't know why. It's just like, hey, we're getting a yard of pop. Let's keep going to this. Um, but Puka Nakua, absolute beast on the outside. The guy who I have, Cup I have no back idea who that guy is. He was uh, BYU really good receiver for the past couple of years. They drafted him in like okay. the fifth round, and he went off. He had like, wow. I, I don't know what his final stats were, but uh, they were really impressive. So Let's I need see. to pick him up in my fantasy league? Yes, if he's available, he'll be probably one of the top waiver picks um, in, in like all fantasy football leagues. He had uh, 10 catches for 119 yards. He was wow. targeted 15 times. Wow. Unbelievable. That is very impressive. Yeah. So anyway, I I think the Rams are back to being good. Yeah, I uh, if I was repicking the the playoffs right now, I'd I'd pick them as one of the teams in. I don't know if I'd have them winning the. I I'd probably have them as a wild card. I wouldn't okay. have them beating the Niners, but yeah. All right, quickly here, quarterbacks in their second year. Brock Purdy is the best out of him. Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, and Willis. This might be a bit of an overreaction. Dude, the rest of those guys stink. I know they do, but so like, Brock Purdy's got to be the best, right? It's still so early on in the career of all of them. Willis, I'm, he's got to be yeah. the best. Brock Purdy's got to be the best. He is right now for sure. Will he continue to be? Like, I if, think so. Yes. Yeah. Kenny Pickett stinks. Desmond Ritter stinks. There was that point where Desmond Ritter was four for four for zero yards and a touchdown. Did you Sam, see that? I did see that one. Sam Howell, I think maybe has the best potential to yeah. not stink. Yeah, much. I guess it's not. It's I don't just, know. That's such a bad It's not pass. an overreaction. I mean, yeah. Brock Purdy, he's, he's the best sure. right now. He's got to be. Right? Sure. I mean, out of those six guys, which guy do you want being a quarterback on your team? No, you're right. I'm just there. There's part of me that's like, well, if Sam Howell or Kenny Pickett was with the 49ers and had that system, would he be doing better? The, I don't know. Brock Purdy's been good. I will give him Maybe. that. Brock Purdy's been very good. I don't know. Maybe. All right, two hours down, one to go. We got more KU football talk coming up on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. We'll have your next KU football game against Nevada this Saturday. It's a late one, 9.30 o'clock. I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, 9.30 o'clock p.m. <laughs> uh, that's when the game starts. Pre-games just start at 8 o'clock. Wait, what right time? On KLWN. 9.30 o'clock. Where? Um, in Reno, Nevada. Who? Uh, against Nevada. What? Football. Oh, okay. nice. Sweet. By the way, did you see KU is now receiving votes? In I the did. latest yes. poll. They are technically 28th. Yeah, I saw they are tied for 28th, which makes them, does that make them 29th? Or how does that work? No, it would make you tied 28th. Okay. Well, I, saw uh, some people, I saw some people saying that they are 29th versus 28th, and I was like, why? I think they just counted because TCU for, was listed like before Kansas, even though they had the same amount of votes. So they probably just counted, oh, yeah, there's three people ahead of them. Yeah, yeah that's, that's wrong. It that's should wrong. be 28th. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas is 27th. So we'll see. Maybe KU could be ranked after this week. 
not a Arkansas cricket is football. Not that good. I was not so? impressed. I mean, they just beat Kansas last year, though. And it's I was not impressed with what Arkansas things. did. They they, they lost a lot struggled of defense, against uh, an FCS opponent on Saturday. Well, guess who they're playing this week? I know they're playing BYU. Yeah. So now we a get good a good measuring test, stick right? of yeah. both those teams. Yep. Uh, football is back in full swing with another week of epic games, and who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? It's DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL action. Uh, in, in week two with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code KLWN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and resort. So KU takes down Illinois on last Friday night, 34 to 23. Yep. We talked a little earlier in the show, but I, I think it's uh, worth re-upping how good Jalen Daniels is. Yes. Jalen Daniels is everything that you would want from a quarterback at the college level. I mean, this dude is, he's charismatic. He's got that swagger. I mean, he brought out the chain again post-game. I don't know if you saw that for yep. post-game interviews. He had his chain that he wore for Big 12 Media Days. He's just got that confidence in him that He's, you know, that just natural leadership ability that inspires other players around him and inspires his team. And, and obviously, he's got the playmaking ability on the field as well. And it kind of like I mentioned, like going back, you know, I mean, it had been what, seven, eight months since we'd last seen Jalen on a football field. And I don't know if we maybe just kind of forgot a little bit or maybe just didn't remember as much. And then Jason Bean starts the first game against Missouri State. And we're like, well, you know, Kansas might still be able to make a bowl game with Jason Bean. And that may still be true, but. If they're going to reach their highest potential, it's with Jalen Daniels. I mean, he is electric. He can do so many different things. He's got that creative element to him that allows him to just make incredible plays in any situation. Play breaks down. He knows. He he just knows. He just has that knack for it. And you know, there are certain skills that you just can't teach. And I think that's one of them. Having that ability to just when a play breaks down or when you need to scramble out of the pocket and make a throw just to understand when and where you need to go and what needs to happen during a play. Jalen has that, and it's just so, so impressive. And if he stays healthy for the rest of the year, I don't know how you could come away from the Illinois game not feeling like KU's ceiling is higher maybe than what you thought going into it because of what Jalen Daniels did. And again, it, this this it's almost like, it's kind of funny, because it almost shouldn't be new. I mean, this is that's what he did against Arkansas to end mm-hmm. the year last year. That's what he was doing you know, before he got hurt last season. And it's just we hadn't maybe we hadn't seen it in a while, and we need a little bit of a refresher on what this dude can do. And he certainly showed that against Illinois. There was absolutely no rust. Came out, balled from the start. K went off to a, K got off to a quick start. And uh, just very, very impressive stuff from Jalen. And and now you just hope that he can remain healthy for the rest of the season because, again, I think certainly you feel like that elevates KU's ceiling a lot higher maybe than you did previously. Yes. It's the difference between Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels. There's the ceiling difference and there's the floor difference. The floor difference is some of the, I don't know, just the processing stuff, the the quick processing of what's going on, when to give off a read option, some of the the small, simple, short throws, which is a little bit better for Jalen than, than with Jason Bean. 
And it's the ceiling stuff too. It's the plays like the third down, the scramble out of yep. your own end zone. It's 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 some of the creativity the that throws you have. Downfield. Yeah, the throws downfield after scrambling around, the the running ability and creativity that you have there. That are the difference there. That Jason Bean is a really good quarterback. And I think yes. Jason Bean to me is a top half quarterback in the Big Twelve. Could be. Fortunately, you have two of them. You have yeah. Jason Bean and you have Jalen Daniels. And Jalen Daniels might not just be a top half quarterback in the Big 12. He might just be the number one quarterback in the Big 12, right? He was I, think at this point, I think at this point he has to be. It's hard not to, right? I mean, I know Quinn Ewers looked good and goes on the road and beats Alabama, but I, I think he's probably still above Quinn Ewers right now. Yeah, for me he is. Now, now Ewers, we'll see how it all goes because he has so much talent around him that that's going to really help. Not that Jalen doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I really was watching that game, and as much as last year – and we, we always mention it when we're like, you were without your Heisman winning quarterback in the games that he was in, or not winning, Heisman uh, candidate quarterback. How much really, how much really, if you were to be honest with yourself, did you view Jalen Daniels as a real Heisman candidate? Like Last year? Yes. Like realistically, mm-hmm. where did you think he would be a finalist? Did you think he would be top 10 in the Heisman voting I, I at mean, the end of the year? He might have been top 15. Okay. How far does their voting go? Doesn't it go to like top twenty or something? Uh, I think it goes to ten. Oh, 10? Yeah. Okay. He would have been close to that. Well, they uh, the voters only vote for three, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like what they show is like the top ten. Yeah, I think he would have been close to that. Okay. When I when I viewed it happening, I was like, "This is really cool," and it it is. I mean, obviously, how playing, but I think it was certainly the narrative was was propped up by the fact that yeah. This is a Kansas team. Oh, they're five and zero. Oh, right. oh, you know, and look at what well, the numbers Jalen's putting up, and you know this, that, and the other. So there was there was so much more to it other than just strictly how he was yeah, playing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think part of it for me too was like, okay, well, realistically, what is Kansas going to finish this year? Even with a healthy Jalen, let's say they win seven or eight games, you don't see seven or eight win teams get guys for the yeah, high. That's unless just, you throw for like happen, a right? billion yards, yeah. and seven thousand touchdowns, right? And whatever. So for me, I was like, it's clear Jalen is one of the best quarterbacks of the Big 12, and he deserves all that love, and he, he had the stats and everything. But realistically, when it, when all that talk was happening, I still, there was a part of me that was like, it was okay, fun this to isn't like, going to... It was fun to hype fun. it up at the it was time, fun. but it was like, yeah, no. But, but in the back of my mind, it was like... Finish this way, exactly. Right? In the back of my mind, it was like, if if he continues to put up these numbers throughout the season, and like you said, KU wins seven, eight games, he might be fringe top ten. Yes. Now, when I watched the Illinois game in week two, I said, this is real. This kid can make it to New York at the end of the year. Think so? And I don't know what the difference is. Maybe it maybe it has something to do with just the longer you watch someone, the more you start to buy I mean, into what it is. If KU makes the Big 12 title game, yeah, he could be there. Absolutely. And I think that's what it is too. That last year's team is as good as it was. You didn't know when the when the roller coaster ride was going to end. You didn't know if it was going to be a 6-win season or a 7-win season or 8-wins or whatever. And obviously the Jalen injury had had an impact on that, but with this year even watching that Illinois game and, and watching some of the other Big 12 teams struggle, it's not that they're going to win nine games, but could they win nine games? Absolutely they could. Yes. yes. And so if you if you can get to that point and Jalen does what he did in that Illinois game the rest of the way, and you do win nine games, and whether you make the Big 12 title game or you're one of the first teams out of it, but you're a top 25 team, that's kind of the RG3 path. That's kind of the Tim Tebow path the, the year he won it. They were 9-3 and three that year um, to winning the award that I really do view it as a real logical path for him I mean, having a chance this year. Listen, the Heisman, as much as it is a stats award, it's very much a narrative storyline driven award also, right? I mean, that's a huge factor in it. Mm-hmm. So if you have that on your side, yeah. you're a fan favorite. You are, you know, this fun story of uh, a guy who came to a program that was in the ashes and now look what look, you know, you took him to 
you know, a possible Big 12 title game or, or however the season finishes up, like that very, very much plays into your chances of making it to New York or even winning the award itself. So that certainly factors into it. And obviously it matters to the other guys around you, like what's going to happen with what you mentioned, like Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix. And I think with USC, like, like Caleb Williams. Yeah, like, Caleb Williams. Gonna, first of all, is he going to win it back-to-back? Yeah, Probably I don't know. Motor fatigue happens, but also he, they've been re- – I think I saw something that USC has had like 25 drives and they've scored a touchdown on like 18 of them. I don't know if that's correct. That's pretty good. But that that's insane if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been pretty remarkable so far and maybe he is the one guy that can kind of buck that trend and, and win the award. But when I, when I see it happening this year, when I see it tangibly, when you see some of the plays he made in that Illinois game and even the interception he had, we haven't even talked about the interception yet. I thought that was a fine interception. There's some interceptions where it's like, why did you do that? I mean, listen, like, why did you throw into double Kate coverage was up, here? They were up big. Right. It was one-on-one coverage. How many of those passes have we seen Jalen Daniels complete for a big pass? I mean, Shoot the end of the first half to play to Luke Grimm. That was yeah. not too dissimilar from that play to uh, Trevor Wilson on the deep ball. Uh, just ended up being a, a bit underthrown. It wasn't a bad read. It was one-on-one coverage. He had half a step on the guy. Made a nice play. He made a great play, right? Uh, they're not always going to make a great play. I didn't even think that was a bad interception. I really didn't. So, yeah, uh, yeah man, when I see it, I believe he can get to New York if uh, KU continues to win the games and he stays healthy, which if he stays healthy, they'll probably continue to win games. <laughs> uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. We've got some uh, audio with Lance Leipold coming up on the other side on KLWN's RCST. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.